I'm Jill Shaw, and you're listening to Last Night at School Committee. Ross Wilson and I are here to summarize for you what happened last night during the Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. Ross, good morning. Good morning, Jill. The meeting started with the superintendent's report, which included two memos. The first was on facilities planning, Ross. Yes, Jill, and Superintendent Skipper opened the conversation about this memo with this comment. This memo is a follow-up from the November 15th School Committee meeting. It offers additional details on the tools that inform the long-term facilities plan and further explains that we have an opportunity to create and support a more consistent, high-quality student experience. We are grateful for your feedback and ideas during the last school committee meeting and for highlighting additional factors for consideration, including but not limited to projected population growth by neighborhood, school demand, and past history of renovations. But Ross, many of the elements she mentioned here were not actually in the memo that was presented. Right, Jill. I mean, so the superintendent mentioned that there was some data around enrollment projections and so on by neighborhood, and none of that was in the memo. But let's go through what the memo does say. Right. First, Jill, the memo states that about 71 of 119 schools meet the new definition of optimal size as defined by BPS, and only 18% or about 18% of school buildings provide most or all of the experiences defined by BPS as being high quality. So Jill, later in the memo, it was noted that school closures and mergers will be announced this coming April with planning for those mergers and closures happening in the next school year and schools closing and merging essentially the beginning of the 25-26 school year. In the memo, it says March, March to April 2024, the superintendent will share proposals with school committee members and the school committee will vote. And those proposals are for mergers, closures, and new investments in front of the school committee. Right, right. So it's important to note, Jill, that parents are making choices now for their child's school. And essentially, the BPS is saying, hey, once we go through the school choice process and you've chosen your schools, we'll announce in April which schools are going to close and merge. In the past, typically these decisions have been made before the school choice season, whenever the nearest school choice season is. And also it's important to note that the schools that will be closed and merged will also go through a whole budget cycle in the next few months. And we're essentially going to fill those schools with students. And not only that, we're also implementing new inclusion programs for students with disabilities and English language learners in those schools. So it feels like we're moving forward with a number of decisions, both for families and for the district in terms of investments. But the implications are that those schools may close and merge in the coming months. But just to be clear, the memo says that those schools will remain in place and operating till the end of this year. They will be operating next school year, 24, 25, and that the transition will happen the following year. So if there's going to be a merger or a school's going to be closed, those will happen in the 25, 26. A year of planning. You could pick um, a school, be in your school for a year, but then come this spring, you may hear that that school is actually going to. Right. And then you'll be engaged in a a year-long process process. for closing and merging. It's interesting, Jill, on this one, the next mayoral race. The election will be in November of 25, mm-hmm. 2025. Right. It's interesting the timing of this because the, the closers and mergers will almost match up right at the election season. So we'll have to see how this plays out with timing over, over the next few months. Right. The, the other thing I think, Ross, that's missing in this memo that was asked about by school committee members is they asked about 
a framework that allows them to look also at the district. And so this framework and this rubric really focus on building by building. You can make a decision with the rubric about whether or not that school can become a high quality school, but mm -hmm. it doesn't really give a framework for the district to look at a comprehensive plan for the district. And so I, I'm still missing it. And there's, there's no access for the public. Maybe there is for school committee members. It's not in this memo of data or what calculus will be used to make decisions. And I would think that that is the, that's the information that the public for sure is going to want to know. I think school committee members are going to need to know that too in order to make decisions. And Jill, I mean, I, I agree with you, not only the public and the school committee members, but also the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education, which is supposedly going to approve this plan at the end of this month. Also missing, Jill, is cost. Cost is not in the memo. It's going to be one of the most important factors here. And one of the drivers for doing this sort of facilities plan is because we have declining enrollment, we need to right-size the district and have fewer number of schools. Right. The uh, data that they showed in the memo, we've lost over 8,000, uh, you know, nearly 8,000 students. students. Yeah. yeah. In, in 8,000 students in seven years, right. which is quite a large amount and a lot of the... Well, and the trend doesn't seem to be reversing. <laughs> right. So the, I think they have, they've got to take some sort of nod for that unless they see something looming on the future that's going to shift things, which then goes back to your point on cost. Okay. Where's the money coming from? That's right. You know, you got to think about the economy over the next couple of years. I don't think it's going to be raining money. Jill, it's so important that BPS build trust with the community before engaging in conversations about closures and mergers. And that isn't accomplished by a memo like this that's missing all of this critical information. Totally. Longtime education advocate John Mudd made this point last night during his public comment. You say you want to be sure that there is authentic parent and community engagement to build trust in your decisions. But in the long-term facilities planning document presented at the last school committee meeting, BPS is repeating the failed process that has caused the very mistrust you say you want to overcome. Okay, moving right along, the superintendent refers in her comments to a second memo on school quality framework. Here's Superintendent Skipper. The SQF is also a way to highlight the great work in programming across the district, promote equity, and ensure all families have access to rich and necessary information about all BPS schools. This is important to note. This marks the first time since 2019 that the Office of Data and Accountability has updated school quality tiers for all district schools, and that's based on 2022 and 2023 data. So Jill, this, this is typically a presentation that's done each year and it guides school choice for families. So in grades K to eight, families have a list of schools they get to choose from. And those schools have to consist of two tier one schools, two tier two schools, and then a combination of tier three and four schools. So basically the district has created a school quality framework that tiers schools for families to begin to make decisions about where they want their kids to go to school, with tier one being the best quality schools. And these data, the calculations for the school quality framework are made up of 75% student performance, 10% of the data is made up of family, community, and culture data. This is from surveys. 
7.5% of the data, the determination is made up of teaching and learning, and then 7.5% of teach leadership and collaboration. A what simpler does that mean? way to those say are those are surveys as well. The simpler way of saying this, Jill, is that the calculations that BPS has determined is basically 75% student performance, mm -hmm. and then 25% based on survey data of parents, community. yeah, teachers, and students. So you know, it's interesting though. Why don't they just publish that data then? If they right. have like if they right. have those numbers, and this is the calculation that they use, why is it a mystery? Because because mm -hmm. there, there's some weird shifts that happen. Happened. I, I would think if you're in certain schools, like for example, let's talk about Boston Latin School for a second. This mm -hmm. is one of the best school, public high schools in the state. It's one of the best public high schools in the country, I believe. That's right. And it's now moved from a tier one school to a tier two school. That leaves me scratching my head. Right. I mean, particularly, Jill, on this one, Boston Latin School, looking at the DESE data, the Department of Education data, they're 96% out of 100% accountability. They're one of the top schools in the state but yet they have moved from a tier one to a tier two school on the school quality framework. So something's going on that we can't see or I, I don't understand only, it. Only one of the three exam schools is now considered a tier one school. That's right, the O'Brien is, yeah. is a tier one school and every other school, basically Jill, every school, <laughs> there's only two high schools total in the district that are tier one. Right. You What's have the, the O'Brien and you have New Mission High School. Right. But otherwise, all the other schools are high schools are tier two to tier four, which, which is which really concerning. goes to like, OK, what's the algorithm? Because totally. what point is being made here? This you would think that the district would create an algorithm that would, it would have to be honest, but you would think that there's a lot of other data that suggests that these exam schools are pretty good schools. And yep. like kids apply to them, right? <laughs> so, well, Jill, but so, yeah, you know, I just it just it just is deeply concerning. Here's, um, a, here's a couple other examples that are deeply concerning. The, the Sarah Greenwood School, Jill, has a seven percent accountability by DESE standards. It's the bottom ten percent of schools across the state, mm -hmm. and is a tier one by BPS definition. The Blackstone School has a six percent accountability percentile. That's again the lowest, one of the lowest in the state, and is a tier two by BPS definition. English high school is a 3% accountability percentile as defined by the state, and they are a tier two school. Whereas Boston Latin Academy is an 88% accountability, and but they're in tier two, and Boston Latin School, of course, as we, as we mentioned, is 96% accountability. Well, you gotta stop there, like, so English high school, which is three, has a 3% accountability to the state, it's one of the lowest performing high schools in the entire state is ranked by Boston Public Schools equally to Boston Latin Academy and Boston Latin Schools. That's correct. So the underlying data is important here. It's also, Jill, this does, uh, there are implications for parent choice here too, particularly at the K-8 to level, where parents are basically given schools based on these accountability data. And it very well may be that the Sarah Greenwood School is on the list as a tier one school for families. And those families may not have access to high quality seats because of BPS's determinations about the school quality framework. Jill, important to note here, there was zero discussion about this last night at school committee. Yeah, I, I was just going to say the same thing. That's the crazy thing is that nobody was left scratching their heads about this the, the new tier rankings. I mean, could this just be a case of, didn't last year we have a problem with the accounting firm that was hired to do calculations for us and it was just done inaccurately? Because this feels inaccurate. And so you would have thought one of the school committee members would have just said, hey, could we... Um, see the calculations that led or to can we tier can we have a conversation about this yeah. or we how we ensure parents have access to quality or right. making the right determinations both of these memos were buried in the superintendent's yeah. comments for some reason these things are being quietly 
released. It's weird. And then at the end of her report last night, the superintendent dropped this quiet bomb. As I close my report this evening, I wanted to share that uh, I'll be bringing forward um, some uh, some small adjustments on the exam school policy as recommendations to the committee using our most recent data. Uh, and that will happen at uh, at the next school committee meeting. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Hmm. Jill, for everyone who's been following the exam school conversations and debates, it sounds like there'll be some movement in the new policy announced at the next school committee meeting. So then last night's public comment period began with several students testifying that they don't feel heard by BPS leaders with regard to their position on the situation in the Middle East. And they expressed that the district isn't doing enough to foster conversation. After these students testified, the superintendent and school committee chair paused the proceedings of the meeting to talk to these students directly, turning off the camera for about 10 minutes before returning to the remainder of public comment. Then there was the only report of the night presented by the District Wellness Council, which quite honestly should have been pushed to a meeting later in 2024 because the report was based on 2021 data. And school committee members expressed concern that because it was old data, it was no longer relevant or actionable. This includes the report on school food, which suggested a more dire situation than may be actually true in 2023. Vice Chair Michael O'Neill, who was supported by Diego Meta's personal observations, also expressed concern about the accuracy of the vaping data in this report. Here's Michael O'Neill and Diego speaking with Jill Carter, who is the head of the wellness department at Boston Public Schools. There's only one question I had that just struck me as Whenever I talk to school leaders, this figure didn't sound right. I'm almost going to turn to our student rep to sanity check it with him, Mr. Mato, <laughs> when it says currently use electronic vapor products, 9.7 or 10% of the students report using, report vaping. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's probably across all grades. That's what I was wondering. Are we like in, is, is that- You could be looking at, the, are you looking at their there's it, high school data and there's middle school data. And this so is said, from- that's, That would data. be the high school YRBS data. Said high right. school, school data. Okay. Yeah. That, that's a lot. <laughs> it just, it's really struck me as out of whack from what I hear when I talk to school leaders who really talk a lot about the problems with vaping. The way that question is worded is in the context of tobacco use and nicotine. So what We've also heard anecdotally from schools is that kids are vaping uh, marijuana. So it could be that when students are answering that question, they're they're like, oh no, I don't, I don't vape nicotine. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it just, I, I just, I hope we don't make decisions based on that because when I talk to school leaders and I'm looking at Mr. Mate, he's literally chuckling as, as I'm saying this. I mean, school leaders are reporting this is a big, big Mm -hmm. issue. So that was it. There was only one report in last night's meeting, and it was based on 2021 data, despite the fact that new data will be coming in just a few months. But it sounds like we're in for a big meeting next week, Jill. The final meeting of the year, enrollment, budget, and a surprise announcement about changes to the exam school policy. Stay tuned. And that's what happened last night at the Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. We want to hear from you. If you have thoughts or concerns about how BPS is serving your student, please send us an email at podcast at shawfoundation.org. That's S-H-A-H foundation.org. Thank you for listening to Last Night at School Committee. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, 
please rate, review, like, and share it with your fellow friends, parents, and residents of Boston. We all have a stake in the future success of Boston students. Have a great day.